God is so good, y'all. And I, maybe I'm the only one that feels this way, like I said at the very beginning. But, man, life is, is tough sometimes, right? And this is a, a difficult time that we're in. And I'll be honest, I've, I felt the pressure of supposed to know answers, but don't really have a lot of answers about a lot of things. And I can be just as overwhelmed as you, and I hope that doesn't discourage you. I hope that lets you realize you're not alone in this, because I think sometimes that's what, I believe that's one of Satan's greatest things, is he wants to divide us, not just into groups of people, but into individuals, and he wants us to feel so alone. And, and that's his greatest tool. If he can get you to feel alone, he can get you to think that nobody cares and nobody understands, then you will give up. And we've been going through this series uh, called Hello, My Name Is. We've been talking about the names of God. And today we're talking about one that's a little bit different. And I want to talk to you first to ask you a question. Have you ever met anybody famous? All right. It doesn't matter what level of famous they are. You're shaking your head. Who'd you meet? Kylo Quinn. Kylo Quinn. I know that name, but who is that? Uh, New York Knicks. Oh, New York. Okay, New York Knicks. Cool. All right. All right. Um, who else? Anybody ever met anybody famous? Willie Parker. Willie Parker. Fast Willie Parker from the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right. Anybody else? Patrice O'Neill. Who? What character is she? Oh, oh yeah, Patrice. Patrice. Okay, I'm not used to hearing his last name. Yeah. Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon. Okay. All right. Anybody else? I'll tell you about two of uh, ones that I met. I met somebody that was like not famous, famous, but but pretty famous. At least back then, he was a, a big idol of mine. It's this Christian singer songwriter named uh, Andrew Peterson. And he wasn't like, at that time, he wasn't super well-known. And you may not even know his name, but you may know one of his songs. There's a song that's become popular in the past year or two called um, uh, Is He Worthy? You might have heard that song. Shake your head, yeah, maybe. All right, at least make me feel good. All right, uh, it's a really good song that's become popular. Chris Tomlin's made it popular, but Andrew Peterson wrote it. But I've known his music for forever. He's not that much older than me, and he went to uh, the Christian college that our daughter Robin graduated from a couple years ago course many years before and one of the first concerts that we got to go see me and one of my best friends this guy named Sue Nguyen um, we went and my, my wife and his wife at the time went to see this concert and we were going down this back stairwell before the concert and we ran into Andrew Peterson all right and I'm just going to be honest and open y'all know me if you've been around me at all I'm just honest and real as I can be sometimes probably too much but when I saw Andrew Peterson for the first time I totally fangirled and so did Sue, okay? So did Sue. We were like, I mean, we didn't scream, but it was like internally, and the way our reaction was, was like, ah! You know, like this, and we were totally stupid. I mean, I don't know if we made any sense. We're like, hello, Mr. Peterson Andrew. Or, you know, I mean, we, didn't, we just didn't make any sense, and it was like, it's such an embarrassing thing that I did not even get the words out. You know, we finally said something that made a little bit of sense, but it was, it was really embarrassing. But then another time, and this is one... It, this is a weird scenario, but I just want to tell you about it. Uh, a few years ago, our family, extended family, took a trip to uh, Disney World, and we were waiting in the line for Peter Pan's adventure, whatever you call that ride. And we're standing there in the, in the queue, waiting our turn, and a, a guy is in this car. I see him coming down. He's on the ride. It's taken off from the you know, beginning. And I'm like, that dude is somebody famous. And I could not place who it was. I was thinking he was like a 90s uh, rock band, uh, you know, member of a rock band. And then it dawned on me who he was. It was Kevin from the Backstreet Boys. Anybody remember the Backstreet Boys? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, I mean, Kevin's the tall guy that had like the goatee baby or something like that, dark hair. 
And he was there. And the, the funny thing was, is like, I, I recognize him and I know he's used to it. It, did, it didn't seem cocky, but it was like I looked at him and I, I kind of questioned with my face. I was like, are you who I think you are? And he was like, <laughs> and we didn't say anything, but he was like, yeah. And it wasn't like a cocky thing, but it was like, yeah, I, I am who you think I am. And uh, then I lost track of him. You know, he's well on the ride, gets off where I does. But I told my brother-in-law about it, and he saw him later. He actually got to meet him a little bit. And he said he was a cool guy, um, even if he was from the Backstreet Boys. But anyway, um, my wife uh, was a big fan of uh, New Kids on the Block. Any of y'all remember them? Yeah. Ow! When you, after that, that crowd says ow after they cheer. Um, anyway... <laughs> Um, but today, the reason I'm talking about that is this next uh, account that we're going to look at from the book of Exodus. When we talk about learning this new name of God, is it's sort of like a celebrity encounter times one billion times one billion times one billion. Because sometimes when you meet someone who is above you, so to speak, or you look up to, or they are famous or well-known or they're wealthy, sometimes you don't know how to act, you don't know how to respond. And that's exactly what we see here in just a few moments. We see the story uh, that's often called Moses in the Burning Bush. And it's from Exodus chapter 3. If you got your Bibles or you want to open up on your uh, smartphone, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3 and we'll read some of the passages from there. But what we find is a, a name that's really sort of interesting and a little bit confusing. We find the name in this passage, the idea of Yahweh. You ever heard of Yahweh? Sometimes maybe more popular, you've heard of Jehovah. That's also another version of this name. This name is interesting because you've got Yahweh, which literally in the Hebrew Bible would have been Y-H-W-H, without any vowels, because they didn't want to say his name out loud. And so to make sure they did not treat God's name as an unholy thing, they only put four letters of his name so that you wouldn't easily pronounce it. And then through study and scholarship, a lot of people began to figure out that probably it's Yahweh. Uh, but they also, in the Middle Ages, made up a word called Jehovah that was sort of a, uh, another version of Yahweh. So it's kind of crazy. It's kind of confusing. But ultimately, one of the things that's so special about this name, of all the names that we've talked about, we've talked about Elohim, we've talked about, I believe, Adonai, we've talked about all these different ones. This is literally the name that we're given for God. When God is asked what his name is, this is how he responds. I am Yahweh, or maybe Jehovah, or as you'll see a little bit later, I am. And it's a powerful thing that we look at here. But it's kind of crazy because we don't often think of God that way. We don't think of God as this big, amazing, powerful God. Now, sometimes we do, but there are a lot of times when we forget just how real and just how big, just how strong, how mighty, how powerful God is. And we see this glimpse, this encounter where Moses meets this all-powerful God that had not truly been heard of for 400 years. 400 years, they had not heard anything from God. The people of Israel had been in captivity, and they had been thinking, some of them probably thought God was not real. They probably doubted if he was even real. Are you real, God? And then, I am comes on the scene. He comes on the scene, and we see in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, that God uses this name. He uses the phrase, I am, and he uses Yahweh interchangeably. And it tells us, that I am is one way for us to translate the name Yahweh. Now, to understand Yahweh and understand this encounter, I want to talk about Moses for a second. Remember Moses? Moses lived to be 120 years old. 120 years old. 
In, in terms of Old Testament in Genesis, that's not all that old. You know, there were people that lived 969 years and 900 years and, and things like that, 600, 700 years. And so he's actually sort of a, a young punk, so to speak, right? He lives 120 years. And his life is pretty interesting. And if you see early on in his life, his 120-year life, you can break up his 120-year life into three 40-year segments. It's pretty neat. It's funny how God has a real sense of humor, so to speak, and he does little things to help us see, yeah, this is my plan, this is my plan, this is my plan. So the first 40 years of Moses' life, he spent that time thinking he was a somebody. If you remember Moses' story, where was he raised? Just say it out. In Egypt, in Pharaoh's household. He was treated like the movie we saw uh, many years ago, A Prince of Egypt. He grew up as a royal prince in many ways. And he lived this really sheltered, uh, catered to life. He probably had a lot of servants that took care of his needs. And so I don't care who you are, if you live that kind of lifestyle, you're going to believe that you are something pretty important. Am I right? And so he spent the first 40 years of his life thinking that he was a somebody, being treated like royalty. And then he spent the next 40 years, because just to give you a little overview, I'm not going to go into the whole story, but he, what happens is he finally at some point, we don't know exactly when, but he realizes that he is also a Hebrew, even though he's been raised in the Egyptian king's house. And so he finally goes out and he ends up killing uh, an Egyptian over this. And it, it's, they're mistreating a Hebrew slave and it leads him to run. And he runs in the desert and he spends 40 years in the desert. He, he spends 40 years in the desert and he spends 40 years thinking that he's a nobody. So the first 40 years he spends thinking he's a somebody. The second 40 years he spends thinking that he's a nobody. He spends, instead of being served by many servants and taken care of, he spends those 40 years tending sheep. And I'm not much of a shepherd, but I do know that wild animals like that, or, or even domesticated animals, don't always smell that great. And, and sheep also, with that thick wool, they often get really smelly. And so instead of being treated with perfumes and colognes and given food, and I don't know if he got fed grapes, but that, if I was a king or a prince, I would definitely have somebody feed me grapes, right? That's, you got to do that. Y'all don't think about this stuff? Am I the only weirdo? Okay, that's cool. I'm good with that. I like being different. But anyway, I would be fed grapes, and I would be used to this good life. And then he spends all this time living out on the countryside in this desert location, out in the wilderness, living with sheep, probably talking to these sheep because that's the only person he's got or only beings he has to talk to. And there comes a time, I don't know if it was always this way in the first 40 years, but definitely in this next 40 years where he's living like he's a nobody, he begins to think that he can't even speak well. And so we find this out when he's talking with God. And I don't know if he felt that way the first 40 years, probably not, to be honest. He probably had no problem speaking. He probably had all kinds of tutors and coaches, and he probably was a debater in many ways because what else do you have to do if you're royalty, right? Sit around and talk about ideas and live the high life. And, but anyway, at some point, probably in that next 40 years, he begins to think that he is a nobody. He can't even speak well. And so in the middle of the silence of God for 400 years, here he is thinking he's a nobody. His people are enslaved in Egypt. They are out there. They're wondering if God is real or at the very least, is God faithful? I'm not so naive to stand here today and say that even in our group, the people that are here today are the people that are watching on Facebook Live right now. That there aren't some of us right now that 
question sometimes if God is real. Or at the very least, if God is faithful. Why? Because we all have those doubts. We all have those worries. We all have those times that we wrestle because we're not exactly sure. Maybe God's just been too quiet too long in our life and we can't see. But then, just like God always does, even though it had been 400 years of silence, so to speak, God shows up, Yahweh shows up on the scene, and he introduces himself. Look at Exodus chapter 3 if you've got a Bible and you're following along in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. We've heard that name, the mountain of God, Horeb, many times as we've been going through this series, if you've heard any of these other messages. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Pretty much any of us would have probably done the same thing. We see a bush that's there, it's on fire, it's not being consumed. I'm going to go check it out, right? So that's what happens. He goes over. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. I think that's important because a little bit later, and we've already alluded to it a little bit, there's the idea of I am that comes into play. I am. And Moses says, here I am. The I am in this verse, I believe, is is added for our understanding. It's not necessarily in the original text, but for us to understand as we read, the I am is there. But basically, it's like Moses is saying, present. He's like saying, I'm here. I'm here. And oftentimes, and this is something that kind of hit me between the eyes, so if you've already started nodding off in the humidity, wake up, okay? You may gently slap your neighbor if you need to, but your hand will probably slide across their face because they're probably a little bit glistening. And either I'm not funny or y'all are too far for me to hear. I'm thinking it's probably the too far part. But anyway, <laughs> but, but here's the thing. This hit me like a ton of bricks because I believe that God wants us to get the message like he wanted Moses to get the message. That oftentimes that's just what he needs is for us to just be here in the moment. To be where we are needed, to bloom where we are planted, to just be there, to stop trying to come up with all the answers ourselves, to stop trying to solve all the problems ourselves and try to to fix everything ourselves, 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 and just be present in the moment. Stop looking necessarily for all the answers and just be here. And so he sees this bush burning up and he, he, God says, he calls him out and he says, here I am. Look at verse five. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you were standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And I wore my uh, flip-flops today, my really uh, comfortable uh, Sanooks. I don't know how you say it. I say Sanook. Maybe I'll get a plug get some money sent to me a free pair of Sanooks, at least. But he tells him, he says, take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. Here's this God that they had not had contact with in around 400 years. And he's all of a sudden in the presence of God. And he tells him, look, where you are is holy ground. It's time for you to recognize the position that you're in. You say you're here, but I want you to know that I am here. That's what God is saying. I am here. And you're going to learn in a little bit that he's always been here. He's always been there. He's always been there. He's always been 
everywhere. And that's what he wants Moses to understand. And so the more that you and I realize the holiness of God and we learn to hide our face, so to speak, the more that we'll truly see him and experience his power. I believe oftentimes we flounder in our life of faith because we haven't truly realized who God is, who Yahweh is. And I truly believe that, me included, we forget just how awesome and holy God is and we lose that respect for God sometimes. We sort of have the idea that we can take or leave God when we need Him, when our life gets tough. Oh, I'm going to run to God at that point. But when things are going well, it's like, okay, I know where you are, God. I'll check in on you when I need you. And we develop that attitude. And I, I've, I've recently heard uh, some Christian experts, you know, just people on social media and all that sort of stuff who are always saying this is what's going to happen or this is how you deal with this situation. And I've heard several Christian experts who have talked about a lot of people won't be coming back to church after all the, the pandemic stuff is over with and after all the uh, things that are COVID and how it, after it's calmed down, that a lot of people just won't be coming back to church. That breaks my heart. Because I believe, and I've taught this for years, that the, the church is not a building, it's not a place, but it is absolutely a body. It's a family. And while, thank God, I mean, praise God that we have this technology that we've been using for weeks and weeks and weeks and, and years, really, on some level. But we have this technology where we can be together even though we're not. There's absolutely no replacement for being close to the body of Christ, for having relationships with one another. We use these tools. These things are great. I'm not down and I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm getting up there. My hair is gray, but I'm not as old as my hair. Gray hair makes me look. I'm not anti-technology or anything like that. But my point is this, is that the church needs to be together. And I hope and pray that if we understand who Yahweh is, who Jehovah God is, that we would never just take him for granted or his body that Jesus died on the cross to save. And so I want us to make sure that we appreciate what we have in the church and that we wouldn't treat Yahweh so flippantly. Look at verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so here's what I want you to say. Once again, if you're starting to zone out, I want you to tune back in. God wants us to know that even though it may seem like it's been 400 years since you've really seen him move, since you've really heard his voice, he knows and he sees what's going on. And that when you're in the midst of your struggle, when you're in the midst of your trial, when you're in the midst of your time of brokenness and loneliness and your emptiness, God hears and he's working. He's been working a plan. He's been working a plan. You know, rewind back in the story. Back in the story before Moses ever came on the scene. And we hear about Joseph being sold into captivity by his brothers. And then we find out many years later that God had put Joseph into that place in Egypt because his family was going to need respite from the, from the famine that was taking place in the land. Just, like some, just because something seems like it's bad and just because something seems like God is not present in it does not mean that God is not working in a miraculous, amazing way. He's gone before you because he is and he always will be. 
But what we have to understand is when you think all is lost, God hears. You may feel like a nobody, but God sees your tears. When things seem silent, that's when God is about to move. But sometimes you need to get out of your way. Sometimes if you want to hear what God has to say, you've got to get out of your own way. Sometimes it takes 40 years. Sometimes it takes 400 years. So what about the last 40 years of Moses' life? He spent the first 40 years, what, thinking he was a somebody. He spent the second 40 years thinking he was a nobody. And these last 40 years, this is where it gets really good. It took 80 years to get to this point. But these last 40 years, he see, begins to understand what God can do with a nobody. What God can do with a nobody. Verse 10 says, God says, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I'm not good enough, is what he's saying. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you, to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain, the mountain of God, Lord. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you were to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. You see, what God is trying to help us understand is the name of God and I am, that phrase, sound really uh, similar. And in this passage, God uses them interchangeably. He says, my name is Yahweh. My name is I am. I am. I am always existent. I always have been. I always will be. And God is saying to Moses, and he's saying to the Jews who Moses is going to go and speak to in, in the presence of Pharaoh, he's going to say, I never left you. You just weren't ready to hear and see me. But now you're ready to hear and see me. He tells them another thing. He says, I am the God of all these dead men that you worship and you revere. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am their God because through me death doesn't have any power. And he speaks as if they're living because he knows something that we don't. Because God is. He never changes. He is beyond time. He is beyond even death. But the question is this. Do you draw near to him? When you see his power working, do you draw near to him? Have you humbled yourself? Have you taken off your sandals? Because where you're standing is holy ground. And honestly, if we're not being humble, if we're not willing to listen to what God has to say, we're not going to be able to hear him. We're not going to be able to see him because we're going to find every reason to say, oh, that's not him because he's not working in our way, in our time, in the schedule that we want, in the way that we want. But he's God and we're not. He is Yahweh. He is the one who is, who always will be, and is always going to be the powerful, mighty God. So the truth is, once you realize that you're a nobody, then God can show you what He alone can do with a nobody. That doesn't fit the way that we talk nowadays because we tell people that, you know, and, and I believe everybody has value, don't get me wrong, but we all make mistakes. We all fall short. 
And we're never going to feel like on our own that we've got all the answers. But that's the beauty of it is that God takes us when we feel like a nobody, when we feel like nobody else cares, when we feel like nobody else loves us, when we feel like we can't get anything right. He takes us and he uses us in in a mighty way. He changes eternity through us and in us. And yesterday, as Maddie mentioned, we got to see Crystal baptized into Jesus. That was such an awesome thing. It was so amazing. And I love baptism because God gives us this privilege to participate in this. Because you think about it, what's more humbling and more passive than baptism? You know, I mean, you're being lowered. It's one of the most powerless times in your life. You're literally at somebody else's mercy to be lowered down into that water. And I mean... Not many times do we sign up for somebody to hold us by the nose and push us underwater. <laughs> you know, it's, normally we're fighting back. Crystal did try to fight a little bit. I'm just kidding. But it's such a, a beautiful thing because it's such a humble and passive time where we just say, God, it's not me. It's you. I surrender. And, and we see this beautiful thing in the spiritual reality that's taking place like Romans 6 talks about that there's death and that there's surrender and that our old self dies and our, old, our new self is raised up to walk in a new life. It reminds us that we're joining with Christ's death and his resurrection. He died first so he can live, so we can live. In the Revolutionary War, as it drew to a close, there was a massive battle in Yorktown, Virginia. General Cornwallis was the head of the army of Great Britain in that particular battle. And he goes up against the forces of George Washington and all the the American Patriot Army. And finally, they defeat him with the help of the French. And when it's time for the official surrender, it was such a, back then, it was such a formal thing. The general normally would go, the losing general would go and present his own sword to the winning, conquering general. But Cornwallis was ashamed and would not go. So while he yet still surrendered and said, we surrender, I give up. He said, oh, I'm not feeling well, and he sent his sword by his second-in-command general. So Cornwallis never went to the actual surrender uh, celebration that took place. So he goes there, but the truth is, is that many times that's the way you and I surrender. We say, oh, God, I surrender, but then we sort of send somebody else in our place. We say half-hearted surrender. Maybe is that good enough, God? But God wants total surrender. He wants us to completely be his. He wants us to die to ourselves and live for him because he is Yahweh. He is the one who is, who was, and is to come. And the truth is this. You and I can't send somebody else to surrender in our place. We're the only ones that can surrender to God. For us, we can't send somebody to stand in for us. But you can only do that through Jesus. We're going to move into our time of communion and celebrate with our last song. But I want you to think about for just a moment how is your relationship with Yahweh? Does your relationship look like what we saw there where Moses took his sandals off because he was standing on holy ground or is it just really casual and you sort of take God as you will and take him when you need him, forget him when you don't. Because really and truly the only option that we have, if we understand who Yahweh is, if we understand who Jehovah is, the only option we have is complete and total surrender. That we give up everything so that we can be his and that he can use us the way that he, only he can. Because he can take people that are nobodies and make them into somebody and change other somebody's eternity. But you got to surrender first.
So the question is, have you entered in his presence through Jesus? Because Bobby can't go and stand before Yahweh on Judgment Day. You can't go and stand before Yahweh on Judgment Day. The only way you can stand before God on Judgment Day and not receive a negative outcome is standing in the presence of Jesus, covered by the blood of Jesus. And so that's what we celebrate when we celebrate communion. And the way we uh, take part in that is when we're baptized into Jesus. We're baptized into his death and raised to walk in a new life. And we're covered by the blood of Jesus. And so we're going to take communion. If you did not get communion elements, we've got them over here on the table to your left, my right. And we're going to take a few moments and we're going to just celebrate the fact that we can stand in the presence of the almighty Yahweh because of Jesus' blood and his sacrifice. Does your life look surrendered? Does your life sound surrendered? Do people see surrender in you to Yahweh?